dancing, music, love, Paris. Tuberculosis. We watched Moulin Rouge, and this is what we had to say. Set against the backdrop of a spectacular Moulin Rouge show, an idealistic young writer is drafted into a bohemian entourage and falls in love with an ambitious but doomed showgirl who is caught between the hero and a ruthless duke. Mesdames, Messieurs, welcome to the Moulin Rouge Zoom episode. So, this film is an interesting one for me. It really is, because I, I wouldn't class it as a film that is in my top 10 or even in my top 20 or that's, even that's being possibly quite kind. But at the same time, I do have a soft spot for this film. I really do. And there's a reason. It's because I've seen this film twice in my life. The second time is for this episode. The first time I saw this film, I think it was roughly 10 or so years ago. I think I would have been about 18. And it's at that time in your life when you're starting to kind of shed your high school persona, the front you've been putting on. And for me, that was the, the sporty guy. And I remember sitting watching this film and thinking, you know what? I love musicals. I love musicals. I love the theatre. I love all the costumes. I love the singing and dancing. And that's who I really am. And that's, and it was a big moment for me at that time. It was kind of, it was coming for a while, but it was a realisation at that time too. And I was just sitting watching this film again this time and thinking, wow, what a difference between the way I was at 18 and the way I was now. And that, I think, actually is something that's quite beautiful about films at times. And I think it's kind of why we all like films so much, is that the films remain constant. They don't change. The scenes will remain the same. But for me, watching this now, I looked at it in a completely different light than what I looked at it at, at 18. And things jumped out at me more this time certain societal issues jumped out at me this time, as well as some emotional reactions that I didn't expect to have. Like, for example, at 18 years old, there's absolutely no way I would have had any kind of emotional reaction to this film. But with everything that's happened to me in the past 10 years, at the end of that film, there was a tear in my eye. There was. And, I, and I, if you told me that that would have happened, I wouldn't have believed you. So it's very interesting how films remain constant that you don't and you can change and you can see things in a different light. Now, this film is incredibly divisive. I've looked online, it is very, very much 50-50, right down the middle, two camps, you either love it or you hate it. So with that in mind, my first question to everybody is very simple. Firstly, have you seen the film before and do you love it or do you hate it? I'll just go around the room this time, I think. I'll start with uh, Sasha this time. Sasha, what are your thoughts? Ah, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it before. Um, kind of similar to you, I was younger. Uh, I actually cried when I was younger, and this time I didn't cry. Um, I think at one point I wanted to be Satine. I was like, oh my God, she's literally living the dream. She's got two men after her. It's amazing. It's so cute. It's a beautiful love story. And then when I watched it again, I was like, damn, there's some issues in this film. <laughs> I will let it's hardcore. There's there's loads of beautiful moments. There's loads of interesting moments. I look at movie making differently, like shots and stuff like that. 
Whereas back then I was just like, oh, this is so cool. They're all dancing and they're having a great time. And I want to be the Moulin Rouge. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very different now. I, I don't hate it. I don't know if I love it, but I'd probably go closer to love it because it's one of those movies that's just like, oh, okay, maybe I'd have to watch it one more time, like when I'm like 50 or something to see how, how much it changes. But yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I enjoyed this. It was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Andrew, what do you think? Um, I'd never seen it before, so this was the first time. I distinctly remember my big cousins, the two of them, they loved it. Um, I think it was their favourite film when they were younger. But I think I agree with you in the sense of, uh, to me, I don't think it's aged well. Like, this, the comparison I'd done was if you've ever watched the TV series Skins, when mm. I was a teenager, Skins was, I was like, oh, I want to be those guys. Those guys are so cool. And look what they got up to at college. And then I watched it like maybe two or three years ago. And it, oh, they're, they're absolute weirdos. Like you don't want to be anything like them. And I felt that kind of like, I could understand why my cousins, when they were like 16, 17, enjoyed it and maybe had the fact, oh, that looks so exotic and cool and things like that. Whereas now I was, I don't know. I think I don't, I didn't hate it similar to Sasha but I think I fall more closer to hate than love I think there was stuff there was things I liked in it but for the most part I can't see me watching it again <laughs> fair enough fair enough Paul like a virgin story thank you I um I'd never seen this before funnily enough I know ah. that's a shocker, <laughs> shocker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> never seen it expected to hate it came out loving it yeah, I um, I was really charmed by the quirky nature, especially in the first half of the film, Ooh. first 45 minutes. I was really charmed by the very quirky, almost abstract uh, style of the film. You know, it's sometimes you have no clue what's going on in a way, but it's and it's hitting you a million miles an hour. I uh, I was really charmed by that and then I feel the film settles down a little bit later on and you can follow the story and there's there's parts of it you can get invested and I'm not saying there aren't problems because sure sure there are problems with the film but but yeah I left with a a nice taste in my mouth Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Interesting, very interesting. I'll, I'll be interested for the later discussion we talk about. As I said, as I said before to everybody, I think it's a game of two hearts. This film. It's interesting that you fall more on the first. Side. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, Greg, what do you think? Um, oh Christ, great intro. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of leaning into the more positive camp, uh, although everything that's wrong with it is very apparent. Uh, I have seen. I saw this once before. And it was about six years ago when I was still at uni and I was full of wine. And, and yeah, we, 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 had, we had a good time with it, but I think it's because we, the, the one rule that we had was we had to take a drink every time they say the word love. I had to like make notes and I wouldn't have been able to do that this time. Um, but yeah, I like it. I still had fun with it this time round. It's so delightfully naff, um, and it's and it's and 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 as a room full of arty creative people, don't we all know there's real suffering here? It's just having to sit through stuff like this every now and then and think it's not as deep as it actually thinks it is. <laughs> but the songs are nice. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. 
I know. Well, I mean, as, as you were saying, like the, the word love and its all the variations appears 143 times in this film. So, who counts? Yeah, <laughs> Joseph, what do you think? I, I'm, I'm like Paul. I'd never seen this film before, but I knew, uh, you know, come what may, you know the song because mm. everyone and their friend is singing it. Especially if you did higher and advanced higher music like I did. Dear God, the amount of times I heard folks singing it, I was just like, shut up. And it's like, I've got the same, I had the same relationship with Moulin Rouge, like I still do with Les Mis. I hate it. I hate Les Mis because it's <laughs> overdone. And it, he, he, doing advanced time music, everyone's singing it. I'm just like, shut up. And that's what I was like with Moulin Rouge. Everyone's like, oh, it's great. It's amazing. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to hate this going into it. But I came out loving it. <laughs> and it was, it was um, obviously, yeah, things that have been talked about before. I was just, I didn't like the first half because it's hitting you at a thousand miles an hour. And I had to keep going, no, it's a Baz Luhrmann film. It's a Baz Luhrmann film. It's not Edgar Wright because it felt like an Edgar Wright film. Just bam, 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 constantly. And then there's just so much happening. I, I had to pause it several times and just digest what had gone on. But then when it came to the second half and it slowed down, I really started to get into the flow of the film. And I was a bit like you, Craig. I came out with like a wee, a wee bit emotional. But at the same time, I was sitting there thinking, Ewan, what are you doing, man? Come on, get a grip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, speaking of Ewan McGregor, we've got Ewan McGregor, super fan, next. Uh, <laughs> Vanastri. I know you had some issues with Mr. McGregor on this film. Oh, but... <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, I got distracted there. My cat's going absolutely mental right now. So, excuse me. I'm At the mere mention of his name. I haven't seen it before either. I, I was expecting to hate it um, because I, I don't really like musicals at all. Um, I'm not a big fan of them at in the slightest. Um, but I guess as far as musicals go, and Baz Luhrmann, um, it was okay. I'm, I'm of the same opinion as well that there were two halves to the film. It, the first half was really chaotic and crazy and just really, you know, quick camera changes, angles, and just different characters speaking, like spliced, you know, amongst each other. And I guess that was on purpose because he's trying to maybe create the, the the craziness of, you know, replicate the craziness of Moulin Rouge and the atmosphere there maybe. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit too too much for me at first. And at first I was like, God, how am I going to sit through this? Um, but then the second half just got, did get better. Um, and I felt that it, you know, tone was changed and it was, it was more like you're more slightly more invested in the characters and you know even you McGregor. Um, yeah, so I, I did think it got better, but it did have its problems. There were quite a few things I noted as you know it was very, very non-PC, I'd have to say. Couldn't imagine it getting made now exactly the same way. Um, it definitely did have its problems. Um, but yeah, um, and regards to you, McGregor, yeah, he was he was the worst part of the film for me. God, he was he was as interesting as a wet sponge. He was just like, don't get me started. But yeah, <laughs> I've got a note saying how many songs can you and McGregor ruin? 
like, I should have counted that. <laughs> to be fair, Don't I actually say told that about Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I was like, oh god, stop! That was actually, but I actually liked his singing more than his acting in this. I oh, his acting, we're not going to talk about. But his, his singing was better. But now I was like, oh god, stop! It was all better than him choosing an accent. By the way, <laughs> he couldn't stick to one. <laughs> at the same time, I'm I'm with Paul. Don't slag off Obi Wan Kenobi. There we go. Yeah, that was my yeah. Favorite, that was the biggest heart ache I had. Was I'm going. Oh, it's my favorite Jedi. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how, how how different would some of those harmonies be if he kept more of his Scottish accent to <laughs> worse? Is his dad in it not Scottish though? Like his old dad. This is this is this is something I was this is something I was going to say. Like this is the thing: was he Scottish? Or because obviously he's described as an English writer, and this is one of my major gripes, not just in this film, but in a lot of Hollywood films, bigger films, films that are not set in the UK or made by made in the UK, but some films made in the UK too, is this generalization of English and British, and it annoys me sometimes when it comes to this sort of thing because this is the thing. He was billed as an English writer, but from, I didn't hear an English accent, I must admit. If there was one, he was going between two, I didn't hear it. But he was he was Scottish, I think, predominantly in the film. Mm-hmm. His dad was Scottish. He, the guy had the Scottish twang in the flashback, for sure. Yeah. So that's what annoyed me a little bit, was if he's Scottish, he's Scottish. Let's make him a Scottish writer. You know, I, I, don't, understand, I don't understand what happened there at all. Um, there is a Maybe. fun fact coming. Later in the game, which may be true, it may be a lie. Well, we'll see. It's everyone's new favorite game show, but, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see that later. But um, yeah, it, it annoyed me that it really did. What what I'm want to come to first here because it, it was something that we've kind of been talking about already. It is this the film is very much split into two halves, basically on the money, like an hour in. For me, it was split into two hours, and the first hour as we were saying, like it or hate it, it's very much in your face and it's loud and it's a lot. And, I, and I, one of my notes at the very early points when I was watching this was, I'm 10 minutes in and I'm exhausted. You know, it's... One of my notes. Yeah. Similar to face-off in that sense, actually. But, but I, was, I, was, I was exhausted and I personally didn't like that. I, I didn't like how it was just over your head, like someone had chucked a bucket of water over your head and you were just like watching this thing just happen in front of you, and yeah, I, I, the, everything was fast-paced and not able to keep up with, for example, directing, the performances, the uses of the songs, they were all, everything that we're going to talk about today, whatever's wrong with it in the first half, I think, in my opinion, obviously people disagree, is right with it in the second half, and the second half slowed down, it became more sombre in tone, it became more re- real in tone, and it allowed you to connect with people a bit better, the performances I felt were better, all these things. So my question really to everyone is, we've already kind of established whether you liked it or you didn't like it. So my question is, do you think it was intentional? Do you think it was intentional that it was so separate, one half to the next half? Was there a reason yes. for it? Yeah. Or, or do you think it was a happy accident? Or is this an actual, a, a smart choice that the person's made? Yeah, no, I, I totally think it was intentional. I think um, the pacing 
is meant to be, and I maybe I appreciate I may be reaching here, but I appreciate I, I think that the pacing is a, a little bit meant to be like love itself because it's meant to be oh. it's like infatuation at the start, you know, everything's moving at a hundred miles an hour. It's <clears throat> interesting, it's big, it's crazy, it's all that sort of stuff. And then it starts to sort of settle down a little bit and you you know you really get to know one another you're you you know the the film is your significant other and you and you're getting to know the film a little bit more and then you know as it slowly goes towards its slower death at the end and then like any third party watching two people be hopelessly in love it can look incredibly annoying which is why (laughs) we relate to the duke so much yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and his excellent moustache <laughs> I, yes, I, I definitely agree. had I think, some serious moustache envy I think it definitely was deliberate in two halves but I was looking at it more for, it felt like it was supposed to be like a stage show yeah. mm-hmm. gone. we can't sit it on stage let's just stick it in a film instead and it hadn't really been reworked but the more sort of I, I watched it I kind of came to the same sort of idea that Paul was going for like it was a little bit like love, but I think also I think Baz got a wee bit of carried away with himself. I got excited at first when I realised it was the guy that directed Romeo and Juliet because I love that, and then and you can see kind of similarities and the, uh, the same kind of tone throughout. But then um, I do agree. I, I think it was a choice. I looked at it more as um, Nicole Kidman's character dying. Yes. You, ha- you have Moulin Rouge and it's so over the top, it's wild, it's this, that. And then you see the slow progression is whatever disease she has takes over her body until you get to the point where she's discoloured and sweat. Like, I've not seen as much sweat on <laughs> actors as this. Yeah. Um, I, think it, I think it was intentional, but whether it was this, because I, I, I'm very much the same as you guys, I think for the first 45 minutes, I'm going, what is happening? What, where are we? Like, what are we... Is this a play within a play? Is this in an imagination? Is this what, what is real? Oh, you don't have to worry about it. It's theatre. It's art. It's just <laughs> you don't have to have the right answers. Just as long as you're asking the right questions. It's bohemian. It's absolutely it's bohemian. It's, yeah. it's. I think all of it was intentional, but none of it was meant to work together. Like it was. Just, it was we're going to dunk you into this bohemian. Uh, style of living that the vast majority of people that love this movie have no idea about uh, and then we'll tone it down towards the end because we all recognise being sad and then we'll have a good song and then we'll end sadly for no other reason than that we have to have a sad ending the end I think the, the pain and all that shite <laughs> I think the fast pacing like really works particularly mm. in the club scene because uh, you you are like when you're in Moulin Rouge and they're, they're singing the songs and everyone's dancing you know it's just it's so many different jump cuts to everything and everything's moving a million miles an hour you get the real sense of uh, just getting lost you know you can imagine yourself being high on absinthe uh, <laughs> yeah it's both Kylie Minogue uh, <laughs> I noticed Kylie Minogue. Uh, yeah. You know, just being drunk on absinthe in this club, you know, dancing around, not mm-hmm. knowing what the hell is going on. You could, I kind of, you really get that sort of feeling. I thought with it, I really liked it. I, I, I appreciate what Andrew said as well about the the Romeo and Juliet, and it is the same person. You're right, who, who made both. Um, but I actually think 
stylistically, it's quite it is it's quite Shakespearean. I thought, and I mean, mm. he, he took influences from Shakespeare and also, you know, opera, and this kind of tragic love story that you know is doomed to, to end in misery. So I, th- I think you're right. I think it is intentional what has happened. I don't think it's executed as well because I think it's quite jarring how different it is. I don't feel for me it is like two different films. I think it needed to flow a bit together a little bit more, but. That being said, I think that the second half is so effective that it makes up for it. I mean, this, this film was nominated for Best Picture. And the so Oscars. many Oscars, it's ridiculous. It was. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's the first musical film to be nominated since Beauty and the Beast, 991. So, it, yeah. And I think, I think it possibly was nominated purely because of that second half. I can, I can kind of see it. I don't totally agree with it, but I can kind of see it. No one else really. I mean, the, the performances weren't nominated, which is a which is a first, uh, or it, it, it was not really done thing. But yeah, it was nominated as best picture, and that possibly is the case. Why? I, um, bet, they sent, I bet they sent the guys that nominated it a bottle of absinthe to get their vote. <laughs> <laughs> Drink this while you watch it. Hi. <laughs> Kyle, uh, this is a it is a it is a jukebox musical. Yes. Uh, I. I tend not to like jukebox musicals. I personally find them quite jarring at times, and also I prefer it when a musical has its own original song um, and you know its own original piece that really makes it its own thing. So I don't tend to enjoy it. That being said, again, once again, this film sometimes is the exception to the rule. In that case, occasionally there is points. And again, I'm again, we're going to be splitting into two halves. I think for the whole of this episode, I think the, the songs are not used effectively in that first half at all. I think they're too quick between them all, and you don't get a chance to really appreciate them. But then you have numbers like Roxanne in the second half. You've got, you've I got, love that. Loved it. Loved got, it. Loved you've it. got Come What May, and I like Come What May personally. It's one of my favourite songs. Yeah, like when when a song when a song is done well in this film, it's really effective, I think. And um, and that rocks anything. I'm sure we'll talk about that for sure because it is it's a wonderful, wonderful scene. It's really done really well, going between the two aspects and, and the way the music is used, really, you know, pulling your heartstrings there. So, what do people think about the songs in the film as a whole? Do we think that it worked? Do we think it didn't? Do we would we have had less songs? Would we have maybe tried to use them better? What, what do we think? I think there was I feel too like much they just took up. some licks on a gone. Sorry, I was just saying, like you said, there was definitely too much mixing up between the between the songs. You're just getting into a song and you're like, oh, I know this song, I know this song, and you're like, oh, okay, I've changed it. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was it was really really quick, but. As you said, later on, they started having some other songs in it. And one that sticks in my head was Like a Virgin. Um, <laughs> I think it would be like an, a, a mini segment just for that song, I think. Uh, yeah. And a bit of group therapy while we're at it. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that was int- it was interesting to see it from a male perspective of, you know, like, and pimping out a woman. Um, but it was <laughs> very, <laughs> not exactly... Um, you see but it was it was it was funny I hate to say it I found it I, I did out of all the characters as well I found the Duke more interesting um you know he was really he was quite comical in the way he played it and I thought he was quite funny so he was quite mm, a funny villain to have and him singing the song you know really 
badly was was uh, yeah that was entertaining but yeah it was uh, the first half was just too too much too quick um not enough time given to any of the songs um so I'm definitely with you on that I think uh some of the songs in the start were good I, I thought uh, Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend worked really well mm-hmm. club um I thought I thought that worked really well uh, I quite I, maybe this is just me because I'm a big Elton John fan, but I really liked your song as well. But my my favourite scene in the whole film is the elephant room. Uh, so I, I really really enjoyed uh, your song and the the quick like the the elephant room scene in particular is like where I saw the most sort of stage show part of mm-hmm. this. Like you could just imagine them like moving around on stage, him trying to hide from the duke. You know, she's like forcing herself out of like oh look look at this way you know and and he's trying to sneak out you know you could, you could see all kinds of shenanigans going on uh throughout it so i, I really liked it and then later on roxanne and uh come on me yeah really really powerful stuff and then like a virgin like my name says like a virgin <laughs> just fantastic <laughs> I, in fact i want that as my like i want that either as my ringtone or to, i want to listen to that as i go to sleep you know it's uh, really yeah <laughs> I could, yeah i could die happy never hearing jim broadband say the word virgin again <laughs> <laughs> no I, something, something about it really soothed me <laughs> i had no issue with the songs i thought this because i, I Similarly, similar to Craig saying about not liking like jukebox musical, I don't mind them if the songs are quite obscure. So if I've not heard them for years, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's a great song. So I mm-hmm. did like your song, but the issue I had with it was when they started putting it in the script and they just kept saying the same words over and over again. I'm like, right, we we get it. Next bit, but again, I think Roxanne for me was the standout. Absolutely yeah. hated Like a Virgin. I, I was creeped out beyond belief. And it was yeah. like, there was, there was certain ways that they were singing it as well, where it was just like... And the eye contact. <laughs> we're just two different men. You <laughs> <laughs> know, my, my issue wasn't the songs. I thought the song choices were great. It's just the... It was the repetitiveness of them. They just came back mm. over and over. Especially in the first half with Diamonds Are A Girl's Best Friend and your song, they just kept, when they were talking to each other, it was like a wee kind of cheeky wink where it's like, I heard that song, you uh, and I'm like, right, keep going. <laughs> Not the pop yeah, music ever like gets. <laughs> and using them like, oh, we'll just use this lyric again because it makes sense. Oh, we'll just use it again because we've used it again and people know what it is. We've paid the royalties for these songs, so yes. we need to get money. Let's use the lights. Let's get our bang yeah. for our buck. I, I thought I, I really liked the like a virgin bit, just mm. because it was it's it was so a rehash well. of the song. It wasn't it wasn't a direct cover. It was like a a restyling of it, which was really interesting. And um, the style of creepy bastards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it worked in context of the film. It with within the context between yeah. the two. Um, characters singing it, it worked. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay for that. I wouldn't want to see Jim Broadbent. I would, I would like, I would like a Jim Broadbent to do a whole Madonna album because that would be great. Um, that's the new Christmas number one. But the the, the rocks and song, it, it was like a triple threat for me. It was not only I, I really like Roxanne because I like the police because I'm weird. Um, but it was also mashed up with I think it was Tanguera 
by Mariano Morris, I think, as well, which is the part Ewan McGregor was singing, which he sang mm. okay. Um, it was a really nice mashup because it had a balance between the two songs, whereas the rest of the songs were just like, bam, 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 here's another one, here's another one. And like Vanessa um, was saying, you just you don't get time to go, oh, I know that one, mm. and before it's like dust in the wind. Yeah, they took their time with that one and they had a nice wee dance number and you kind of felt it and like the mood lighting it. I was just like, this is just stunning. And the, and the dance well. was a total allegory for what was happening in the film as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad <laughs> there was a little bit of that going on. It was like, as the, the story was playing out, the, the play was being written, you know, that very scene was being written. It was very, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's art on stage, but it's on a screen. <laughs> Super subtle, loved it. Uh, anyone else? Oh. No, I was saying this is what I'm uh, saying. Like the, the, the film is divisive. The film, hmm. the, 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 I mean, it, it's so divisive. It is very much from all the reviews I looked at online and all the the ratings that I saw. It's fifty fifty. It really is just down the middle. And it's shown even here that we're all we're, we can all disagree on different aspects. Some of us actually like the film, some of us don't like the film. Some of us both like the film, but we disagree on certain parts of why we like it. So it's it is a very very interesting film in that sense for sure. Like, it's a little bit. Oh, on you go, Greg. Uh, did anyone else think it was kind of cute how Ewan has moved to Paris to be this bohemian writer chap and the only moments of great inspiration that he has as a person is when he's quoting songs that other people have written and everyone's <laughs> minds just explode like the hill with the sound of what was that even music oh you're an artist he keeps on saying oh like you're so you're so talented you're so talented and, you're so talented. Like, yeah. and i kept on thinking you're just a talented karaoke singer like, like, honestly, that's I all you're talented at 1900 <laughs> give him a break <laughs> If the Duke just lost the creepy moustache and got a better Spotify playlist, he could have got in there with Nicole Kidman. <laughs> like, if you had sought us anything, it's, you're only ever like one Elton John song away from making somebody hopelessly smitten with you. I think that was my big issue as well with, with the believability of it is like, what he was saying about how you and McGregor, like, let's not talk about him. Like, I just thought, I was like, why would she want him? He's a fucking drip. Like, he's cheap like, bones. Cheap bones. nothing desirable. But like, he literally, he, he, he just, he just whines. Like, where, where, why, why didn't you come all, I won't get jealous. That's all. I've, I've, I've got a big gripe about him later on regarding the whole, like, you know, the lassie he fancies as a sex worker. Oh, don't do, do sex do work. Do I'm like, oh, yeah, shut up. That, like, that, that riled me up, man. I think uh, there's there's one quote that I quite liked from the Duke because uh, it's when they're talking about um, the ending, you know, when they're changing the ending of the play. And I, I thought, you know, it says, let Zibler keep his fairy tale ending, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay, because he's got this uh, idea in his head how it's all going to work out. And then really what you would expect is maybe not going to turn out that way. Mm, like some kind of he... producer behind <laughs> <of> the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the Duke's line at the start as well when they were when they were doing the madness, when they were doing the like tell explaining him what the play was going to be that he was writing. Mm. And then it cuts to him and he was like, Oh, can someone die? 
And like, obviously, mm-hmm. in my head, I'm going, you're going to die because you <laughs> said it. And then obviously, it's not him that dies. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, that was good. Well, didn't, didn't they, didn't like, wasn't that like Ewan's first line of the film, like, the woman I love, dramatic pause? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even with that, I, I thought I somehow <laughs> thought it was going to be a happier ending. Yeah. Mm. Mm, that something does happen. Yeah, it does. But as I said, it's a Shakespearean kind of operatic thing, isn't mm. it? Like you, you get you get the death in the end, um, for, for sure. Yeah, so it, yeah. But it's quite interesting because not back then in two thousand and one, so that really wasn't the done thing. That's more that's more the done thing now. I would say this kind of a genre of yeah. tragic love stories seem to be quite prolific just now. And you see these a lot of these films coming out, which is kind of about that. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then, it was it was usually the Hollywood ending we'd have gotten. So it could be quite surprising at the time. I imagine to have seen that. Mm. But we're speaking about the villain. There, we're speaking about <laughs> the Duke. Did anyone else think he was like the amalgamation of different stereotypes of villains? Like he was, he was like a like an old like what you see in a wartime film, like a German stereotype villain at times, where like all the shouting and all these things. And he was also sometimes like. Uh, Posh English villain would be yeah. the most conservative thing. And he was sometimes the buffoon, and it was, it was he was just like a jigsaw puzzle of all these different things. But for, mm-hmm. throughout the film, it was very very hard to kind of work out what he's actually like and like, how to identify with him completely. Yeah. I thought. yeah, he was like a, a pantomime villain, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was just one of my favourite scenes with him was uh, he. He, you know he's got all these moments, but there's there's one bit in particular. I think it's during a song when he uh, sort of sits down. That Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman sort of sit down at the picnic together, and he like looks off and goes, "Oh look, it's a frog, the team." Like, oh look, he's like this big uh, child, you know. Especially when it comes to like the selfishness of his character, you know. It's like he says to Ziedler, you know, like, "Oh, I, I don't mm-hmm. let anyone." Steal my things from me, sort of thing. No, 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 no. you do that. Just, you do that, Reeves, like he did that, Reeves. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't let anyone steal my things from me. Touching my things. <laughs> Thank my you. Things. You are. <clears throat> but yes, yeah, so yeah, it's just like this giant man-child, uh, which uh, I guess maybe nobles or some of them might have been back in the day. So uh, yeah, I, I really, I really liked the Duke. The Duke was a, a good villain. I, I felt a wee bit sorry for him at one point. Like he's a complete arsehole, of course, but like that we he kept trying to meet her and she kept dodging him. And at one point, just his wee face was just like oh, she just really doesn't like me. And it's, I was like, oh, it's okay. I was like, actually, wait, no. I don't like it that much, but I did. I felt a wee bit sorry for him at one point. So you, you can <laughs> see there's a bit of a human. Sure, some frogs. Say what? Also, like Ewan and Nicole are really, really bad at hiding a secret flame. Like, jeez, <laughs> like, like yeah, the more he misses, the more he's like there is something legitimately wrong with him, right? Like, and then you have some <laughs> random extra just blurt it out to him. He's <laughs> like, oh, I'm the Maharaja, I see. Oh, that, that whole bit with just like this random woman. I, I paused it What's and I was like, who she was? Nini, Nini, up in the air, legs in the air. Apparently, is her name. What's that her name? Um, <laughs> she, she just like, she just like randomly just comes in and goes, oh, by the way, um, you know, and just like tells him the secret. And you're just like, who are you? 
Yeah. Who, well, why are you doing this? Why is she doing this? You're not build up to your character whatsoever. Uh-huh. And you just, why, don't you want the think, show to happen? I think like, she are you jealous? What, there was nothing, you know, what's there was no clues. What's your motivation? Yeah, there was no <laughs> reference to what, unless it was a deleted scene that got taken out, but I don't know. I mean, but yeah, there was no no motivation for her at all to go off and but, do that. So I was like, it what? happens. It happens again with um, the other guy, um, the black guy, the only black guy in it. Really, yeah. <laughs> called Le Chocolat. I know, oh, Chocolat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> the only guy. <laughs> Like guy who just comes in randomly, saves the day, spoiler alert. Hmm. And you're like, okay, so do you see, does he follow her around? Is he in love with her? Do you not catch her when she's bailed? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, there's no idea that he's like her protector or anything like that. I get get what you mean. Yeah, Mm. he just follows her around or, you know, he's in love with her or, I don't know. It was just odd. I thought... Leguizamo's character was in love with her at a point as well. Like he was getting jealous of you and McGregor. Yeah. And I, was like, I thought he was gay. Yeah, that's my I point. Like, I was like, I was jealous of you, yeah. McGregor. That's what I'm. That's what I'm, I'm yeah. jealous of Nicole. I mean, I thought he was. Yeah, that's. I, yeah, it was so brushed past. Yeah. It was like. Yeah. yeah. Also, I need to go back to. I need to go back to the um, chocolate. Like that was thrown in so nonchalantly. Like obviously, <laughs> there's loads. There's loads of things wrong with us in terms of PC. But it was just the fact he turned around and went, Chocolat, uh, could you uh, escort her back to the one? No, no, no. Let's go back. That's not his name. Wait, what did you call me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw that happen. I was like, that cannot be the character's name. No. I go to IMDB and I'm like, no, there it is. That's his name. <laughs> like, what is in, going on? Because it's in French, it's okay. Because, yeah. because he doesn't actually <laughs> oh, yeah. say it in English, it's, it's, it's fine. Ridiculous. Based on the real, apparently, well, I just read it. I don't I have no idea if this is true. Um, he might be based on a real character who performed at the Moulin Rouge oh, called Le Chocolat. But even then, you thought, you know, you would give some background to this character then if he was actually a real person and mm-hmm. why he's called that and anything, yeah. anything about him, you know, just not just call him Le Chocolat. And then <laughs> leave it up to the audience just to think. <laughs> Pull a poster, give him it, give him Chocolat as his middle name. (laughs) Brian (laughs) Chocolat. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I mean, well, we can talk about the lack of PC in in this film to the coast film. It's 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 it is showing its age, and to be fair, that's not even an excuse because even in 2001 and any time. Any time in history, it's not acceptable. Like even if this film was made in the nineteen sixties, it's not acceptable. Does it doesn't matter when it was made. That, that's not an excuse for it at all. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting how that that sort of that, that wasn't perceived as, as something to cut out, and yeah. that it still managed to get the nominations, and people still love it, and still somehow forgets a couple of slurs that slipped through because the editing's so fucking fast. Never mind. Uh, Extras with chocolate names and no lines. I think that's. I, I think obviously, like when you go back and you watch loads of these, like it's, obviously it's not an excuse, but when you watch loads of these films, a lot of stuff doesn't hold up. You see a lot of like racism and sexism, and, um, homophobia and all that kind of stuff. But 
just that just that guy's name was just so brazen it was so obvious and i'm like oh it was it was, it was so framed as well yeah it was, such, it was such a it like hung in the air for a moment like no <laughs> and he looked so sad i know it was, it, it was it like his name was said, and there was just a hard cut to his face yeah. for like at least three seconds you kind of almost want everyone else in the room to go Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> it's completely breaking out. Just someone going, "Hold on, Ewan, stop it!" <laughs> it wasn't as if he was like, like a uh, really skinny guy. He was just this big, massive guy. Is like, hey. wait, wait, hi, hi, on, Scoot, couple of couple of words back there. What, what did you say? <laughs> um, so, well, oh, sorry, be on you go, on you go. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, I mean, I don't know if you're going to mention it as well, the underlying misogyny as well in this, and with, the, you know, the whole character of Satine, you know, who um, just exists as an object for, like, mm-hmm. men to look at, which is what is Moulin Rouge, you know, it, it, that's what the show is. But then within the film, she's just there to, to be the ob- object of this guy's affections and uh, just a just a way of, you know, a Ziddler to make his money and his cash for the show. And she's just happy doing that. And she has no aspirations of her own. She's just, you know, just happy just to be pimped out and just be on stage for Moulin Rouge and to die for Moulin Rouge. And also at the end, um, spoiler alert again, sorry, um, with the Hugh McGregor's character, all she basically exists in the end for is just to be inspiration for his writing, you know, like, so terrible at writing, he needed someone to die to give him inspiration. <laughs> That's all she is in this, you know, just mm. it's terrible. And she's dying of like tuberculosis or whatever on stage as well, spreading it to everybody. That's another factor. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just it's just so unbelievably <laughs> sexist. Um, but I guess so is those those times were as well. But it was a missed opportunity for the film mm. to kind of explore that. And for her to explore more of that character. Yeah. Um, Sorry, was the motivation to be like a? She, she wanted to be an actress. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's why she. Yeah, okay. I, I'm sorry, I tweaked that now. Because like, they mentioned it like two seconds in. Yeah. Like, in the very, I think when her and Jim Broadbent are getting changed in that dressing room, made of people's dresses. And they're talking about is he here and now oh, I'm going to be an actress because etc. Et mm. But it's just so great. It's just so quick. It's just like oop, yeah. and it's gone, and you can miss oh, it easily. That was the case with the, the chocolate thing as well. Like it felt like there was an edit that was missing uh, that would have introduced or at least made that a hell of a lot less jarring. Mm. And it just got lost on the cutting room floor somewhere, along with hundreds of other edits of that opening up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let's not forget the most overtly thing, in my opinion, which was the actual show itself. So, if I was, you know, the, the, the Bollywood production, which has obviously been whitewashed to high heaven. But the the, the, pro, the problem with it is this. Well, there's many problems. But so apparently Baz Luhrmann went off before this film and went off and he was just touring around India, I think is the story. And he saw Bollywood productions. And he thought, oh, I'll bring it over to my film and, I'm, and we'll do it here. So that's why it was done. But obviously, it's a complete... I, I just I, I just don't understand why 
he thought that would be acceptable to do that, to, to, to take a culture across and just punch you into his film, not bringing across anyone of that ethnicity, of that culture who you know, is there, and essentially whitewashing it completely. As of, well, as of the time period, I think that was something that was sort of done. Uh, yeah. I, I think you, you, you'd have to bring in a bunch of um, native extras in for that as well and then ex- try and explain that away. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it as much of a, a glaring cultural faux pas. It was just more of like, it was just another, another piece of excess to add on to this already excessive cake of stuff that they made of singing, dancing, uh, dwarf actors, tattooed people, people with snakes. Um, it, it, I didn't see it as as problematic. I don't think it was just it was turned into window dressing, which in of itself is a little problematic. But I mean, the the problem maybe lies a little bit in the the writing of it, you know. But uh, the way the way it was set up to do the show in the film itself, because um, the the way to get the idea is from the, the elephant room scene, and obviously there's all the yeah. the, the iconography in there that. They sort of, you know, it's like that scene where in films is where you're like they're looking for an answer and it's like the first thing they see and it's like okay well this is the idea now so I guess we're, we're rolling with it but I, I can definitely see why there's a problematic issue with looking at it in 2020 mm-hmm. I, I, just so yeah I guess like, I'm, I'm Indian myself as well so and um, you know I'm, I'd, I'd say I'm agnostic but my background is, you know, Hindu. So mm-hmm. it was <laughs> to see all like these um, white people on stage, like portraying Hindu gods and things like that. It was slightly like, oh, this is this is just a bit cringy. It's just, uh, it's just and trying to mimic people like me, um, it, it was cringy for me. Um, I wouldn't say I was really offended by it because I'm so used to seeing it. But I guess that's the symptom of the problems that we have. With film, just taking bits of culture and just, just basically taking the culture, but then the film itself not being diverse, and then calling people like Le Chocolat. Mm-hmm. That that's the thing that I take issue with, like stealing kind of bits of culture and then just mm-hmm. basically whitewashing it. That's that's mm. the feeling I get. Where yeah, do we I, stand on John Leguizamo playing a dwarf? Yeah. <laughs> Like where what 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 producers know got lost where that became a thing. Uh, I like the character. I just didn't see yeah. why it had to be a dwarf. Yeah, like they have they had dwarf extras in on the shoot, yeah. and and you've got and you see him sort of fumbling around on his knees for most of it, and it was why is that yeah. there? Apart from his excellent French accent, of course. <laughs> I did like him. I just, I, I do agree though. I don't, I don't think he needed to. The character didn't need to be a dwarf. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was funny and he was good. I enjoyed watching him, but mm. that was unnecessary. I was like, come on, there's no need for this. <laughs> was it? Was it because it was that, that that ridiculous introduction at the beginning? And so suddenly, an unconscious Argentinian fell from a roof, followed by a, a dwarf dressed as a nun. I'm like, these are a bunch of kooky, fun, bohemian words that I put together in an order, and now we have a scene, and we just put yeah. a bunch of weird eccentrics together, and now we're in Paris, and off we go. And it just happens to get the uh, just happens to say the word dwarf because exotic. Mm. Weird. I think with. 
coming back to the to the the show itself in in the film, I think when it comes to this sort of thing, you've got to make a choice with these things. Now, with this film, yes, it's set in 1899, but there's nothing about this film, in my opinion, that makes it required to be, you know, culturally accurate or the way things were at that time. You know, there's there's nothing about this film that is saying like this is a historical documentary. So I think in this situation, you've got a choice to make with these things. Either you acknowledge the fact that you are doing something like this by whitewashing it, and you acknowledge the fact that you are doing it because it's because of the cultural thing that was on at the time, and you're saying this is what things were like then, and this is, you know, and portraying that and making sure you're doing it in a way that is being a sort of commentary on what was going on then, because it did happen, of course, these sort of things. Or you take the people from, you, you, you make sure that you employ the people of that culture to perform those things, or you don't do it at all, and you do something that is appropriate for the actors that you've got at your disposal and the actors that you have leading that production, and you don't have, I mean, I don't, I don't understand why it needed to be a, a Bollywood uh, production to finish off the, the thing, other than the spectacle of it. I mean, but I think you could have achieved that with multiple other avenues that you could have gone down based on what you had in front of you. If that, and I think, I think it's like the kind of choice you've got to make when you do these things, personally. Early 2000s, when this was coming out, like a lot of Bollywood films were starting to make it into more Western cinemas. So maybe you just thought, oh, these are these are doing relatively well. Let's let's sprinkle a bit of this on it and cash in on some of that money. Yeah, totally could be. I, I wasn't sure because I've never seen the original one either. So I wasn't sure if that was something that had like made it from the original into this oh. one, or if it was like you. But I remember you saying uh, the director saw something. Mm. I guess it's the difference between celebrating it exactly. and just yeah. doing a portrayal of it. And yes. it felt like it was celebrating it, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely does um, remind me a little bit of, you know, we've, we've maybe seen or heard of pantomimes like back in the, the day that were less than PC as well, you know, and uh, it certainly reminded me a little bit of one of those uh, particularly with uh, uh, Jim Broadbent and his eyeliner and and all that mm-hmm. I, I uh, so, this just says Jim Broadbent is too horny for the camera <laughs> like, uh, like every time his mouth just got within like a couple of inches of it I'm just recoiling a little bit and, <laughs> oh. I would love it before we move on that Jim Broadbent is the actual villain of this film. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he, he tells us a, he doesn't tell her that she's dying. Classy. Uh, dumps it on her when she tries to run away and thus cost him his entire business. Uh, signs his business away to a completely unhinged man, baby. And what was the other one? Um, yeah, made her dump Ewan for no fucking reason. And just rather than just, hey, maybe tell him that you're dying and then this this all goes away. No, no, no. Break his heart first and then he'll fuck off. And we won't know. <laughs> Genius. The classic, yeah. the classic romantic comedy or, or um, you know, ro- uh, romance film formula, isn't it? You know, the mm. falling in love, something happens, 
you tell yeah. them you don't love them, or you actually do, and all it's, it's all very formulated. <laughs> the liar revealed. It's a very old one, that, and it's boring. But... I, I love it when the, <laughs> the heroes in these formulas. I love it when the heroes in these formulas, you know, have their heart broken and then they come back yeah. to save the day and shove a bunch of money over them and call them a whole <laughs> I, love, I love that. Also, that like you and like he, like he's writing the script to this play that the film then follows, right? So you and writes is, there's a scene where he's writing a moment where the Maharaja convinces the poor sitar player that the courtesan has been unfaithful to him and it breaks his heart and then the whole end of the play happens and then half an hour later the same twist that he wrote happens to him and he doesn't think, hang on maybe, <laughs> just maybe I'm not Why I'm not do you all like this here. film? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think what the film's trying to say is it's not about the Moulin Rouge it's about how Ewan McGregor's character is actually a prophecy maker Yes, and he, he, what he writes on the page comes to fruition. Mm. That's kind of like some kind of like some kind of like Parisian total recall situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, but yeah, he wrote he wrote his own twist, and then he forgot about it, and then just felt really <laughs> sad for a bit, and then had to go and basically yeah, channel like out himself. Well, uh, that's what happens <laughs> when you're. When you're a bohemian writer for the 1900s, plagiarizing songs that came out in the 60s, like oh, you, you and, remember what you plagiarized. And and can I say, as somebody that has done a little bit of poetry, um, yeah, poetry does equal sexy time every time. Jesus, <laughs> that scene with Nicole in that elephant just oh. Oh wait, my. I've got the quote for that. That was my one of my favourite quotes. I love a little poetry after supper. Oh, you mean poetry? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> yes. Right, I also liked... Um, I'm ready for the first game. Fun fact of fake news is, is, is the name of the game. So I'm going to read four statements. Two of them are fun facts about Moulin Rouge. Two or fake news, which I've made up. You each have one question each to try and work out which two or which. All right? So everyone's got one question, and you've all got to decide what you think is the two truths and the two lies. Statement one. Filming was halted for two weeks after Nicole Kidman had her two ribs and the knee. Number two. Nicole Kidman stayed in her trailer for a whole day after thinking that she had broken the million dollar necklace that she had around her neck on the, in, in the scene in the film, in the rock stand bit. Number two, the crew rubbed Coca-Cola into the floor so the dancers wouldn't slip. Number three, Ewan McGregor's character was originally supposed to be from America, but his accent was so terrible that they rewrote it. There are your four statements. You've each got one question. I'll answer them as best I can, and then you've got to guess. Go for it. First, I, I just want to put this to the floor. The last one seems quite true, considering I've seen Beauty and the Beast, the remake, and his French accent was not good. <laughs> mm. His wife mm. is French as well, so I don't mm. know how you... Yeah. Oh, I don't... I, I have to think about a question first, though. I, I think that one's a red herring. I think because his accent is so abysmal, he's put that one in. <laughs> I think that's fake. <laughs> I, I I'm 
I know for the third one, having spent time around some dancers, that they do rub Coca-Cola onto the floor. So I think that is true. As you have questions, feel free to use them. How did she, did you say she broke her ribs? Yeah, I can answer How that for you if you want. Break them? Yeah, she was rehearsing a dance routine and she fell. Maybe that's why they broke, they broke, they broke the Coca-Cola on the floor, who knows? But, but yeah, so she, she uh, hurt herself in the dance routine and I believe because she was wearing a corset that was so tight, she also fractured two ribs at the same time. So... She was away for two weeks, and then, believe it or not, see when there's any shot of Nicole Kidman from the waist up, it's because she's in a wheelchair. So any part, any part, any part in the film where you see Nicole Kidman waist up, wheelchair. That's either true or you've got the most imaginative brain in the world. Like that's that, <laughs> oh, that's a lie. I'm going to be so. I'm a terrible liar. I'm I'm a, I'm a passable actor. But I'm an I'm an atrocious liar. That's not a good line, I must say. Mm -hmm. So this, um, this necklace was appraised at a million pounds. Yeah. Is that your yeah. question? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Was the coat? Was it So it's appraised at a million pounds. So yeah. how did she lose it? That's the same question. Yeah, right. So apparently, as as the story goes, it was a prank on set from the director and the, I think the, the costume department or something. So they, what they did was they gave her a fake necklace as a prank, and also because there was going to be a fake prop one anyway for rehearsing all these things. And so they had that. I think what happened was they made it so that she, the organisers, so she would break it, and then she thought she had broken a million dollar necklace, and then she ran off to her trailer before anyone could tell her it was a joke, and she apparently just refused to come out for the whole day until eventually they managed to get through to her and make her believe that actually it was a prop and not real thing. I think I think I've decided on what's what. I think I know what's what as well. What dance was it that she was rehearsing when she broke her ribs or fractured her ribs or whichever? Oh, I'm not sure, but I think it was Diamonds Are Forever. I'm not, I don't, I don't know that for sure. Diamonds Are Forever? Because I thought so, because it would make sense, because she's up on a trapeze at that point, or she's up on like a swing, so if she fell, that, that would make sense. And because you didn't know the dance, that means you haven't fabricated it. That's what I'm reckoning. Mm -hmm. My Does thought it, is, why would it, they have a really expensive necklace rather than a pro mm, necklace? Mm -hmm. Especially because they rip it off her at one point in one yeah. of the scenes. So I feel like this is less about guessing movie trivia and just trying to break Craig now. There's more questions you haven't asked about the the. Uh, well, because in the extended universe, that two weeks that they had to halt filming for Ewan to fix his accent was when. Um, they had time to pull that prank on Nicole Kidman, so that means they must both be false. That's my that's my reasoning. Do I want to just use false? I think the it's the um, the prank about the necklace and the um, Ewan McGregor have McGregor, pulled. Yeah, I can give you some facts about the Ewan McGregor thing if you want. Okay, I'm happy to give you some go facts. On then, go on. Why, give what, some facts. Yeah, why? Who who decided that his accent was too bad that he had to? Everyone. Oh, yeah. So it was, it's a cart before the horse scenario here because uh, Hugh McGregor's not the first choice for Christian. 
is, is actually big man Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, who'd worked with Baz. Mm. He worked with Baz on Romeo and Juliet. So Baz wanted him for Christian. And so therefore he was written as American. And we just dis- they discovered in the rehearsal that Leo couldn't sing. So they both just went, sorry, Leo, not for you, off you go. And mm. then Ewan was hired. It was still American. Ewan did the American accent. Didn't work. They changed it to English. They made them Scottish English. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, he wasn't English. But yeah. Okay, you nearly had me. But if you can cast mm. Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio in something, you cast Leonardo DiCaprio. Doesn't matter if he can't sing. Ewan McGregor can barely fucking sing. <laughs> they ought to tune you know uh, <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah uh, I think that's a lie okay right if it was made a decision what we'll do I, I will say statement one you can and you can and you can all raise your hand if you think yeah exactly yeah so it'll be uh, fun fact fake news alright are we ready so number one filming halt because Nicole Kidman broke her ribs and knee Okay, so we have pretty much a general consensus. All right, okay, I'll tell you at the end. I'll tell you at the end. All right, okay. Uh, number two, the necklace. You have one to again. Wow, okay. this is eyes and tear pressure now. Right, <laughs> uh, Coca-Cola on the dance floor. Or Pepsi. Or, or was it? Ian oh, McGregor's accent. Ian McGregor's accent. <sighs> told you I couldn't lie, guys. Told you I couldn't yeah. lie. But, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but Andrew, Andrew, right for the wrong reason because that is true. That I dressed up in a truth. I dressed up in a truth. Leo got chucked off because he couldn't sing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine Leo singing. It'd be so yeah. weird. See, to be fair, I don't think Leo and Nicole Kidman would work. Yeah. I can't see that. I don't I think Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman worked. I agree <laughs> with that. <laughs> I think it should have been Ewan McGregor and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, that's how we do it. Did we just segue into fantasy football casting now? Or Nick Cage and John Travolta, that'd be a good pair as well. <laughs> yes. Callbacks, yes. Yeah. So speaking of casting, just so, just as a little rundown before before we do rehash, go uh, over to you guys for rehash, which I'm very interested for. Um, here's a few uh, casting choices that happened before the final decision. So Christian, we know about Leo. We also asked Keith Ledger, but apparently he was too young at the time to pair, be paired with Nicole Kidman. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, who we know can sing. Uh, Hugh Jackman, who we know can sing. And this is the best one, Ronan Keaton. Ah. Ah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Blew my mind. That blew my mind when I read that. Uh, the team was Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh, Kate Winslet, Hilary Swank, the, the usual people in that time period. Uh, Rennie Zellweger, Drew Barrymore, and Sophie Ellis Baxter. Again, interesting. Very interesting. I could see Rennie yeah. Zellweger doing it. Mm. Yeah. So, with that in mind, we have established that there are issues with this film. Uh, in a lot of ways, in relation to this film, we, we, we've talked about the fact that we think it possibly could be too fast-paced. The second half is better than the first half. Some of us disagree on that, so most of us agree on that. 
We also think potentially casting might not have been right, directing might not have been right. So here's my question to you guys. Look, I, I, as a team, I want you to rehash this. For 2021, who would direct it? Who are your Christian teams? And what would you change about the film in terms of plot, in terms of how it's shot? What sort of things would you change? So, so we'll start with we'll start with directing, right? So, who who do you think is the person to helm this film, this remake, to make it the way you want it to? It depends. Take a watch, If it's a remake or is it like a rehash? Is it like taking the same story but because I think I reckon Taika Waititi could do a good job of it. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think from a musical standpoint, I was thinking more Lin Manuel Miranda or Damien Chazelle. Yeah. But I think again, it depends where. If you want to go the first half of that movie, I would agree Taika Waititi. But if you want to have more, maybe not as serious as the second side, but go more that kind of tone, mm. you would go. Damien. I would want. I would want full first half, all the movie. Well, Taika, Taika, Taika's your, yeah, Taika's your answer then. There we go. Um, I think... Uh, like a American, is that our pick? Was there any more, any more people to throw in the ring? Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd want like pre-2000s Tim Burton. Before he disappeared off Disney's arse and started recycling everything. But like, then like, would that not like, mean... Like that not mean Christmas cast... era. Oh, you go, mate. Sorry. Have a gothic. <laughs> would that not mean we would need to cast Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter? No, 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 no. <laughs> the, my caveat for this is that Johnny Depp and <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter are not allowed <laughs> anywhere near. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had um, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. All right. But then everybody dies. <laughs> 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 yeah, I just thought you could make it even more like, you know, bizarre. Fantastical and bizarre, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, who's the team? Oh, I, I, I thought I, we could have like either Cisha Ronan or Letitia Wright as a good. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Lady Gaga. I oh, no. <laughs> mm. she, she was nominated for an Oscar, did she win? She wanted the song. Yeah, yeah. Put yeah. all of you in this. So, cast the buzz. Yeah, because I was like, "Oh, I'm going to cast you guys instead." <laughs> Let's go with Sasha's pick then. Sorted. <laughs> so Paul is Harold Ziegler. I thought Craig would be a Duke. Oh yes, thank you. Yeah, all day. Christian would be Joseph. And then it was between V and Greg for the Green Fairy and Satine. Uh, <laughs> Greg should be Satine. I'd love to see that. With the, with the hair, yeah, yeah, all right, okay. And Andrew you look like you've drank some absinthe. Yeah, yeah, I'll take the lose. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I could just imagine you doing quite interesting things with it. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I don't even live in the film. Uh, you can't turn me into an absinthe fairy and then not join in. No, you can do the grass. You can do the woman that grass is a man. Yeah, the grass. So that's that's how I casted it. Um, I thought it'd be quite cool. That's bagging. That's brilliant. Yeah, I'll say that. Hang on. We have to lock down. Then that's fine. We can do that next year. Oh yeah, twenty twenty one. Get in and be like, right, Tiger, we've got your cast. You should just do what you want now. 
That's We're really nice. good. We don't just need to work. Three minute warning. <laughs> oh, yes. You can warning it. So, I, I, had, I had like a suggestion of like for Zidla and the Duke having the tag team combo of Mads and Lars Mickelson. <laughs> yes. Because I'd love I, I to see s- that. I had such a hard time of who to cast as the Duke. I just couldn't. See, because how many, see, how many how different he played it, mm. I couldn't pick it. So I ended up, I ended up thinking like Shia LaBeouf. Because mm. oh, he's I, mental. He could be mental, yeah. I, I was really happy. I think I got a good one for the Duke. Um, I went with Domino Gleason. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I like him. I like him. He's good. He's, he's really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but, I thought, thought he would do it justice really well. For the, uh, yeah, like Hawks, yeah, Hawks and Star Wars, that kind of vibe, yeah. Mm-hmm. That would work. Right, before, before we finish up, who's our Christian? Who, who's, who's, uh, who's Tom Holland. I no, thought they were not picked. Not Tom Holland. No, no, no. He's too like no. I think he's a he's a former he's, West End child. You can I'm sing and dance. Yeah. Are you just about to diss Tom Holland? <laughs> no, I don't think he's right for this role. He's not. He's not like mopey enough. Fucking Spider Man. He's right for no, every role. He's shy. He was a former Billy Elliot on the West End. He can sing, he can dance. He's the he perfect Spider Man now. He's got too much confidence. <laughs> <laughs> He's the I'm most shy of the Well, oh, there, there's another debate, actually. I reckon we should have Jim Rash as like the, the bald conductor dude. Mm. Yes. <laughs> just because he's he's the dean in community, and I think he'd just, just take the, the dean character and make him the conductor easy. For the worst time to mention this, why were all the We definitely have more musicians bald. Right, awesome. I like it. There's some good, there's some good selections there. I think if you were going to do it, go, go with Tom Holland. I think you'd have to pick someone that's kind of similar age for the team, so, so it wasn't like like the Heath Ledger or Nicole Kidman situation. Florence, Florence Pugh. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. yes. I had a minute. Just One minute. Less. I had Daniel Kaluuya. Sorry, uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's yeah. good. <laughs> so before we get timed out, before we get timed out, we'll finish up there. Guys, absolutely brilliant again. Absolutely love chatting with you about this film. It's absolutely brilliant. So for a change, the sentiment actually for the life lesson is actually genuine because it is a, there's actually a good life lesson for this film. And I'll end on it if we can, if I've got time. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is to love and be loved in return.